We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to an off-season bonus episode of the Roto-Wire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. John, you've, you've had about a month now for the Dogs national title to set in. Um, we're we're going to talk National Signing Day and, and kind of do a look ahead uh, to what we know for now about the 2022 season. So this will not be a, you know, bask in the glory of the Georgia Bulldogs podcast, but are you, are you still riding the high? I, I know you, did you end up attending the parade in the Athens area? Like, you know, now that you've had a few months for everything, or a few weeks, I should say, for everything to set in, um, has it worn off at all yet? Uh, it really hasn't. And I, I think part of that, it, I can attribute to the fact that I just uh, unloaded a bunch of money buying championship memorabilia. Some of it very good. You know, a couple of t-shirts I got are awesome. Uh, some of the uh, glassware that I purchased, a little bit shoddy as far as the, the craftsmanship is concerned. Glassware. You know, you Yes. Yeah. I bought, you know, a couple pint glasses. I'm a man who enjoys the suds from time to time and uh, picked up some some pint glasses from a company who will remain nameless and uh, run it through the wash once. And whoosh, the logo's like peeled completely off. I'm like, all right, that's never, never doing that again. So, uh, you know, beware, you know, what what you what the Instagram algorithm will, will kind of like uh trick your eyes into thinking it is something good to buy. Uh, not always the case, but uh, otherwise still basking for sure. Um, there's still just kind of like palpable, palpable buzz around here. I mean, when there's like a 41 year old uh, monkey getting off your back it, for the state, people are just stoked about it still. There's more Georgia gear being worn uh, around just, you know, going to the grocery store, that kind of thing that then really you'd, you'd ever see this time of year. So it's still exciting. I, I unfortunately was unable to go to the parade. I had uh, what we'll call an undisclosed illness uh, on that Saturday. So uh, mm-hmm. it would not have been a good idea for me to get out in public for that one. But I did have some friends that attended the parade. It looked like it was a great time. And, and yeah, the, uh, the, the spirits are still very high 
uh, in this part of the country re- regarding uh, them dogs. As they should be. And a, a successful signing day, uh, to be sure, for the Georgia Bulldogs. It, it feels like Georgia very quickly has entered the Alabama zone uh, where it's just, you like don't even really get excited about any of these classes because they're just year after year. It's kind of the same thing. You know, it's just, it's such a factory that, you know, every now and then there'll be a certain guy who, you know, is a really fun player at a certain position, but you know, like when, when Wisconsin has a class that's notably better than any class they've had in 10 years, there's all this excitement. Whereas with Georgia, it just feels like there's such a high floor with these classes. And, and again, the same goes for Alabama. The same has gone for Clemson, which dropped off a little bit. And, and we'll talk about them mm-hmm. uh, later on, but um, it, it must be nice to be at a school where you feel like the worst case scenario is you bring in like the seventh best recruiting class in the country. Right. Exactly. It's so funny that the way that recruiting is kind of shaped up, you can be a top 10 class and have it be something that, that works to your disadvantage because you have to contextualize it within uh, the confines of your conference or, or even your own division. So we, we've seen in years past where, you know, a team locks in, you know, the number nine spot, but they're number four in their own division. And it's like, well, you, you did well relative to the, the country, but you did average relative to your own division. And that that's like, so it becomes kind of like a hollow victory. And, and yeah, when it comes to Georgia, obviously they, they finished, I believe, third in the country and, and first in their division. So they set themselves up well, you know, like you said, uh, Kirby Smart has kind of turned Georgia into this recruiting machine uh, where really the the only uh, suspense is less so about uh, the five stars that you're getting and, and more so about like the, the guys that are 50-50 that you end up uh, losing out on because you do expect a, a class at, at UGA to be rounded out and, you know, with, with multiple five stars and same goes for, for Alabama. And now, you know, obviously A&M has to be put in that discussion and we'll talk about them soon, but it's funny, you know, and I mentioned this a little bit in in my article and we'll kind of touch on the article throughout the pod, but you know, it, for, for guys like us at our age, the, the impact of February signing day has just lessened and lessened over time. The, the inception of uh, the early signing day, that, that kind of made the December signing day, the de facto signing day. And now, now we have the transfer portal, on top of it. So what used to be that this really fun first Wednesday in February, it kind of comes and goes like there wasn't a ton of moving pieces yesterday. Whereas like back in the day, four or five years ago, or even, you know, 10 years ago when we were in college, God, I can't believe we're saying that. Um, we'd both be in, (laughs) I know, right. Uh, we'd both like be in class, you know, just frantically (laughs) like refreshing Twitter or like trying to get somebody's, uh, 247 login to, to see, you know, what the what the crystal balls are saying for, for these guys, because there was an element of suspense on signing day. And there, there was something of like a theatrical nature of it. And, and yesterday it, it did kind of feel like it, it was lacking. It did. It, you know, it's not bagging on recruiting or, or signing day in particular, but the, the way that the system is built now, it, it doesn't allow for the, the kind of uh, shenanigans that that you know, sort of made signing day what it was in the past. Yeah. I mean, I remember in high school and college, even in our, our early days in the Roto office, back when people actually went into the office, um, that was like a holiday for us. You know, you, we would get in early and the TV would just be locked on to ESPN or ESPNU all day. And you would just kind of know in your mind, like, all right, 1130, that's when Joe McKnight is committing. And, you know, you just kind of jump from like very low quality high school press conference to very low quality high school press conference. You know, you got guys faking people out with hats. You know, you got 
Uh, who was the guy that didn't it, like his mom went to LSU and he committed to Alabama? Um, uh, oh yeah, Landon Collins's mom at at, yeah. uh, at the uh, Army All American game was, was like visibly angry and like <laughs> a, a couple years ago, um, Jacob Copeland, uh, he, you know, he had his whole family sitting at the at the table with him and he, he pulled. I, I forget if like he pulled the Tennessee hat and then his parents flipped out and then he just switched over to Florida or if he pulled the Florida hat and his whole family was Tennessee fans yeah. and they, they were mad at him either way. But either way, that there there was some definite like, what what the hell are you doing, son? <laughs> right. Type of energy going on. I I definitely like miss that the, the um, those grainy, low quality high school gym signing day antics. And, and you know, like that. There was something too, if you're a recruiting analyst, being like a hat expert, like being, okay, he's got Missouri to his left. That means that Missouri's out, but he's got, he's got Texas A&M to his right. He's right-handed. Like that's, that, that's a pretty good sign, but Alabama's in the middle. What does that mean? You know, like there were, there was like. Well, no, it used to be about the quality of the hat too. I forget there was, there was some, uh, some. Uh, college basketball prospect and I, I'd have to go back and look it was some prominent like top five prospect you know five or ten years ago who committed and he had the four hats sitting out there and three of them were like really nice uh you know 59 50 snapbacks and then there was one that looked like he bought it for three dollars off the street for this other school and you're like there is no way that this guy is putting on this like used goodwill hat to commit like you knew as soon as that hat came out he wasn't committing there so you're, you're totally right about that and I don't think we've lost the pageantry I, I think it's just switched from low quality press conferences to highly produced social media graphics or, you know, dancing with the coach. Like we still get these viral moments. I, I don't think that's changed, but I, I think part of it is just like the rolling basis of these commitments. And it's kind of always been that way, but it, it did feel like there was more of a, you know, NFL NBA draft type of component to how, you know, how signing day used to be where it felt like, you know, all the major guys were committing on one day. Whereas now you could check two, four, seven throughout the year. And like half of the top 100 guys are already committed ahead of time like it doesn't feel like this you know kind of lottery winning day for a lot of programs that it used to be yeah the 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 hay is in the barn by by like thanksgiving for for a lot of these classes and then like the week after uh you or a couple weeks after you get that that early signing day and and you know the the point of that of course is to get these kids having having their uh national letters of intent signed so that then they can go ahead and enroll early which is you know the the new uh, trend du jour where where these guys are uh, graduating from high school a semester early so they can get to college a semester you know a semester ahead of time they can go through spring practice they can you know do all these things to uh, kind of accelerate their, their track towards making an impact and you know in a lot of their cases with these early enrollees being a three-year player at, at whatever program it is um, so yeah it, it's different whereas like you know the the old signing day you had so many five stars up for grabs that, that you didn't know. Like what, what, when Re- Rashawn Gary is going to commit at noon, is he going to pick Michigan? Is it going to be Ohio state? Is it going to be, you know, somewhere else that there was like an element of suspense because that, you know, the, those NLIs weren't uh, signed yet, but, but now it, you know, and it makes all the sense in the world from a business standpoint on, on the college football end of things to just like get these guys uh, signed, get them on campus as soon as possible, but it, it does kind of sap that that ability for these like mm-hmm. huge name prospects to to kind of get the limelight, uh, get some intrigue going dur- during like the broadcast on on that first uh, Wednesday in February. Yeah, man, it used to be about NLIs. Now it's all about NILs. Folks, I'll tell you what. 
<laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's look at the class overall. I, I want to ask you, you know, what are the major takeaways from this class before we start getting into winners, losers, individual players that we're excited to see? Um, yeah, how does this class compare in terms of previous classes, top end talents? Um, you know, you look at the, the top ranked players in the class. We don't get a quarterback until number six. Uh, Kate Klubnik going to Clemson. Uh, as, as has been the case with a lot of these recent classes, it's, you know, a lot of edge, a lot of defensive backs, a lot of linemen at the top. You know, the, I think the, the highest ranked running back is like 30th overall. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you make of this class? You know, how many guys are, are you really expecting to be big time impact players in the fall of 2022? Right. It, it's interesting because that, you know, 24 seven and, and rivals and all these recruiting services have, have done a good job of shaping their rankings to try to at, to their best of their abilities, uh, reflect what an NFL draft looks like. And, and, you know, the reality is like, we'd love to see it, you know, six running backs be, be five stars and, and, you know, six receivers be, be five stars, but you don't really get 12 skill position guys going in the first round anymore. A lot of it is, you know, guys in the trenches got, you know, a, a rare, uh, defensive back, a, you know, like a Derek Stingley type, that type of thing. And then, you know, a handful of quarterbacks that, that project to go in the first round, that sort of thing. So we don't really get, like you alluded to, um, those loaded running back classes that, that, that see five, six guys projected within that top 32 uh, of the class, which is, you know, what, what the five-star cutoff is, because again, it's supposed to reflect what the first round of the NFL draft looks like. So it, it's not as like, sexy necessarily we don't we don't get those flashy guys it's hard to get that excited about you know a 17 year old offensive lineman who's gigantic and certainly like going to be good and translating it at the next level that type of thing but it just it isn't the same as watching you know chris rainey's highlight tape coming in and being like okay yeah like that that's the guy Exactly. Chris Rainey, what what a what a fantastic pull. You know, there there may not be a, a Chris Rainey or a Joe McKnight uh, in this class. And, and certainly guys will emerge and there's plenty of exciting talent. But yeah, there's something to be said for like when the number one overall player is like this Reggie Bush like tailback. hundred percent. So so and and you know, we, we talked about it uh back in December when when Travis Hunter, you know, made made the biggest waves on on the early signing day. And he's the number one overall player, kind of wire to wire, really. You know, he'll be at Jackson State. So uh, I'm imagining just by virtue of that. And they also got, I think, like a four star receiver. So we yep. probably will be able to see uh, some Jackson State on, on TV that, this season, which is exciting because it, it's obviously cool to see players like this, uh, no matter what level um, of competition they're, they're playing at. Like a, a guy like Hunter that is this well regarded, like I want to see him play. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not quite the same as, like you said, like a, like a Reggie Bush that type of thing. But either way, I mean, this is an exciting class and that, that, you know, we, you look at the top five players and, you know, two of them are going to Jackson state, like I said, and, and one of them's going to Missouri. It's like, okay, I, I like seeing some, some variants here. I, I like seeing not just the script a next to all top five players, you know? No, very true. Very true. That was one that that stood out. Luther Burden, number three overall player, uh, 247, going to Missouri. Other than that, I mean, you do see a lot of A&M, you know, it's kind of a repeat of A&M, Georgia, USC, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, A&M, Ohio State, Alabama. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it's been the last five, six years. And, and you know, a lot of schools just aren't going to recruit at that level. It's not that realistic. But, um, I mean, how much of a gap do you think there is 
overall. When you start to look at, you know, teams like AM, Georgia, Alabama that have the top three classes, like, is there a massive difference from having the third best class to having even the sixth or seventh best class? I think there are, you know, kind of several orders of magnitude to it where um, the, the drop off it, it there's the, the confluence for, for these really top rated classes where it's all high four stars or, or five star talents. And there's just a, a bevy of them. Like, you know, we're seeing double digit four stars in a given class. Like the, the depth, I think, is what really makes the difference. Um, just having that sheer volume of high level potential con- impact contributors. Uh, you know, <clears throat> a buddy of mine put in, a, in our uh, Georgia group chat group chat earlier, 13 of Georgia's 24 signees for, from the 2018 class were like major contributors um, to, to this national championship season that this past year. So that, that just speaks to one, once again, just like not just getting the, those stars, but having a ton of them, just like being able to build that depth where if a guy is to go out or, or, you know, like it, it in Georgia's case this past year, like Jermaine Johnson, who's making himself a ton of money at the, at the senior bowl this week, he played at Florida state to, to finish um, out his college career. You lose him, but like you, you just basically elevate someone who can be just as good, if not better um, coming off the edge or, or, you know, you, you have that same story at, at a whole bunch of different positions across all these top programs. So the, the depth, I think, is really what, what ends up making the difference because you, you can be a program like Missouri that, that lands a five-star once every couple of years, but, and that obviously is going to like juice your ranking significantly. But then when you look at the rest of you know, their, their class, and, and Missouri, you know, for their own right, they did well this year. They, they inked a top 15 class, but you know, the vast majority of them are three stars, whereas like the, the, top, uh, the top guys in – or the top classes, I'm sorry – they don't have like a single three star. It's all four yeah. stars or higher. I like to draw as many parallels to the NCAA football video games as possible. And mm-hmm. I mean, you see that over and over, the more you play those games, like there'll be, you know, I don't know, Purdue will all of a sudden have like the seventh best recruiting class, but then you look and it's just because they have like 17, two stars and five, three stars. And it's just on volume that ends up pushing you ahead of teams that recruit fewer players, but have higher quality per recruit. Um, you know, scrolling through the, the 247 team rankings, a few teams stand out. I mean, you mentioned Missouri having just one five-star, especially when it's the number three overall player, that does juice your ranking quite a bit. But they still have six four-stars uh, for the 14th overall class. You have Kentucky at 13, not a team that you usually see that high. Indiana ranked 21st overall, five four-star recruits set to enroll. Uh, and then on the other end, USC all the way down at 65. And you know, you could probably provide a little more context, but I would imagine a lot of that is just the the reliance on the transfer portal as to, you know, as opposed to bringing in a massive first year recruiting class, um, you know, under completely, I'm Lincoln Riley. Wow. Completely mm-hmm. blanked out his name for a second. Uh, sorry, sorry to leave you hanging there, but I was <laughs> trying to formulate how I wanted to answer this, but <laughs> you're trying but to yeah. guess like, what is, how is he possibly forgetting this name? <laughs> but no, it, it's true. Like it, you know, on balance, does USC really have the 65th best re- overall recruiting hall this year? Like, no, absolutely not. Like, they, they have Caleb Williams. They, they got Mario Williams. They, they got um, Travis Dye from Oregon. So, like, they have high-level guys that, that are going to be able to contribute right away on top of, you know, a, a handful of, of pretty impressive guys coming out of high school. And that, that made it, writing up this article a little bit more more difficult, really, because it is hard to parse out 
what exactly is baked into these recruiting class rankings, you know, how, how much of it is based on the transfer portal versus uh, what, what these programs are, are getting out of the high school ranks. So that, that did make it tricky. So yeah, to, to answer your question, when it comes to a program like a USC, like obviously they're, they're the transfer portal champions and that might have the most immediate impact um, of any re- uh, recruiting class, e- even though a program like A&M literally signed the best on paper recruiting class of, of all time. We're going to see USC maybe be able to draw more blood from the stone this year for, from what it got just thanks to to that transfer portal. So that that the the transfer portal element, the fact that it's going on like basically year round and, and you know, signings and transfers and departures can can happen at, at literally any time. I do wonder if that changes in the future, by the way, but for as it stands, it, it just it does kind of muddy up what to really make of, of these individual recruiting classes. Yeah, and USC is bringing in 13 transfers and only eight commits. So you're 100% right about how that ends up, you know, kind of skewing the ranking there. Uh, let's talk about uh, your article uh, where you went through a lot of the winners and the losers. Uh, obviously, Texas A&M at the top of the list of winners. I, I don't think there's a whole lot to dig in there. Um, I mean, just the rich get richer as far as the talent that they added on signing day to what they already had. Uh, Texas, you have listed as a winner. Uh, you have some second-tier teams. A couple of those teams we talked about, Missouri, Kentucky, even Tennessee, uh, all doing well. Uh, kind of the, I wouldn't say bottom feeders in the SEC East, but uh, you know teams that have fallen off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Arizona, top 25 class, out of nowhere. Uh, Jed Fish, former Jaguars OC, Jed Fish, by the way, uh, coming off of a disastrous season uh, in Tucson, able to to pull a really encouraging recruiting class. So I'll let you choose you know, any of those schools or, or any others that you – you want to talk about to kick this off with yeah like it you know a lot has been made of a&m so i won't hang out on on them too too long but it you know it's worth noting that they they do have on paper again the, the best recruiting class of all time seven five-star commits and there's also a five-star in the 2023 class that is apparently um reclassifying to 2022 and he's been crystal balled um to go to texas a&m so that that could be an eighth five star that that's just uh mind boggling to to consider um just the the sheer amount of top end talent that that the Aggies have been able to bring in and you know there there's been a lot of twitter discourse as to how much of this can be attributed to A&M's deep pockets it, you know ever since A&M joined the SEC a lot has been made of, of how they're they're the sleeping giant in the sense that their endowment is just you know it rivals or even dwarfs in some cases, like what, what an Ivy league school has to work with as far as just like what the, the amount of money, the, the amount of cash that the school has on hand. And now you can kind of filter that through, through NIL and Jimbo Fisher, of course, like bristled. Yeah. How dare you, how dare you imply that NIL had anything to do with this? Right, exactly. And like that, that of course is preposterous. You, you do need to give some cr- credit to, to his recruiting chops, but uh, you'd be just uh, lying if you were to say that, or just completely off base if you were to say that NIL had had nothing to do with with A&M coming off of an, a kind of uninspired 8 and 4 season just inking the greatest class of of all time like that there has to be a little bit something more there but uh now it does kind of put the target on A&M's back like it, when you when you are able to kind of shake the tree like this and and like sign such a high high profile class it's like, all right, man, well, 
you did that. Let's see it on the field because A and M, if there if there's one thing you can say about them, it's that they still have yet to win the division. Obviously, having Alabama in the way and a couple of those great LSU teams, even an Auburn squad in there, once in a while, it's they still haven't gotten to Atlanta yet. And and so now I think you kind of start the the clock as far as like when do we start holding A and M to the, to the lofty expectations? And and I think it starts with this class, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, how soon, how many of these high impact, you know, these five stars, these high four stars um, start making making waves on the field for the Aggies and, and how soon that translates in, into on-field success? Because it, it's great to, you know, have the the hood ornament of, of being the, the number one overall class in history. But, you know, it, what does it really mean if you're not competing for titles? And A&M has yet to do that. But when you start stacking these classes, that's when it starts to pay off. So it'll be interesting to see um, how soon A&M can do it. I, I did I did talk about them in, in my futures article. I, I think they have a chance, but they do have to go to Tuscaloosa this year. And I think Bryce Young, after the way things ended in Indy, uh, he's going to be on a warpath. Alabama's just going to be better overall this coming year. So they're going to be really, really tough to beat this season. If that's AM's only loss, do they have enough cachet to get into the playoff? That, that's a, you know, that, that'll be a discussion I'm sure we get into plenty um, over the course of the season. But regardless, if you're an AM fan, you got to be happy with, with what Jimbo is pulling on the recruiting trail. And then, uh, you know, other winners, like, like you mentioned uh, and are in the article, I want to I start with Arizona. It's crazy. I mean, the, they. And the hiring of Jed Fish never really made like a, a ton, not necessarily like it, it was a bad hire to me, but it just felt a little bit out of left field. It felt like a, a poor man's version of like the Herm Edwards hire um, at Arizona State where it's like, OK, this guy's got NFL chops, but like, you know, how, how much how well is he going to be able to recruit? How well does he know the college game, the college landscape, all that stuff and, and Fish? You know, he, he hit the transfer portal pretty hard and, and got some guys that I think can contribute right away, you know, poaching a quarterback in Jaden Delora from the conference, from Washington State, getting him plugged in there to, to potentially uh, be the guy. Jacob Cowling, one of the most productive receivers in college football last season, coming over from UTEP. That's a really nice uh, plug-and-play addition. And then uh, they, they signed the, the highest rate of recruit in program history. Uh, his name, I'm going to absolutely butcher it, butcher it but it's Tatira McMillan again. Butcher. I would have said Tetaroa. I don't know. Tetaroa. You're on some there. Please forgive me if the McMillan family is listening, but but either way, very very impressive guy. You know, a big tall receiver with some speed, some serious production. Like he, you know, it's pretty impressive to pull him, and then Rayshon Luke out of out of John Bosco in California. That's obviously a powerhouse program. He's one of the guys that I think can be an instant impact player. He's a, he's a running back, scored a couple of touchdowns, won MVP in the All-America game. I think he scored a 64-yard touchdown right after committing to Arizona too. So uh, that wow. that's obviously a pretty good sign. Uh, his nickname is Speedy. Uh, a lot to like about this guy. And, and Arizona was so bad at running the ball last year that you got to figure that this guy makes a pretty serious case um, to, to really get into the mix there. USC, like the, the, you know, the power shift is obviously recalibrated in, in the PAC 12 South USC being back, but uh, you know, Arizona, they're a team that can just kind of go from the basement this year to, to being plucky, maybe, maybe, you know, picking off one of the better teams 
in the SE or in the Pac-12 South somewhere and finding their way into bowl eligibility. So this is a good season. I think Arizona did exactly what it needed as far as like bolstering with, with proven talent at the college level, while also showing that that it can actually win um, some battles on the recruiting trail. I do wonder, did he get the blessing uh, to be called Speedy from Speedy Noyle? Has he officially passed that on? I, I sure would hope so. I, I, I would imagine that, you know, they're, they're at the uh, Speedy Conference. Uh, there, there is, you know, the, the proper, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, the, the proper, you know, conferral uh, of the honor onto the next guy. But I mean, this guy looks like he, he's certainly uh, worthy of that, of that title. So um, I, I hope that it was done through the proper channels. I'd imagine it, it was once again, but uh, yes, uh, I'm definitely keeping an eye on, on young uh, Rayshon Speedy Luke. At some point we're going to go through and, I think I have to make a list or maybe like a top 25 ranking of the best names in this class, because it feels like with each passing class, they get better and better. Uh, and we have a four-star cornerback going to Arizona. Ephesians Prysock. <laughs> Ephesians. So, you know, so, some biblical respect there. Yep. And, and in addition to that, just having an awesome last name, on, <laughs> like just like a, fo- yeah, right. a hard-nosed football name on the, on the back end. There, there's a lot to, lot to like in that name. Right. We, we need a Deuteronomy, like a Deuteronomy Jackson four-star quarterback out of Tuscaloosa. Slept on book, man. Slept on book in the Old Testament. <laughs> Song of Solomon, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's look at some of the losers. You have Clemson as a loser. I've seen, you know, I, I did a lot of reading uh, after signing day just over the last 24 hours or so, and it, you know, some articles classify Clemson as a loser. Some have Clemson as a winner. And, and the ones that classify the Tigers as a winner, it almost seems like, they're a winner because they saved what looked like it was going to be a really bad class. And now it's actually okay in the end. But, you know, what was your rationale for placing them in the loser column? I think it, it they get penalized based on the standard that they've set for themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. they're a team that has made the, the playoff, you know, since 2015, every year up until this year. Um, so uh, obviously didn't make it in that inaugural season. Um, but ever since then has, has been an absolute powerhouse. So you have to treat them as such. And, and for them to finish 11th, that's a problem. You know, like what I was saying earlier about the, the difference between a top five class and, and a top 10 class, like it, it's pretty significant. And when you're Clemson, you can forgive a couple of things. You know, that this has been a program that has been really built on stability within its coaching staff for the last couple of years. And it's kind of made them unique. You know, Alabama churns out coordinators, loses them constantly and, st- and still finds its way to, to stay on top. Clemson, meanwhile, you know, they had Brent Venables seemingly forever. They had the rare instance where they had an elite coordinator that, that just simply was not interested in a head coaching job for, for a while. And like that, that certainly helped uh, them lines land some incredible defensive recruits over the years. And Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott were there for a while. Jeff Scott uh, at USF now. Um, and then Tony Elliott, having just left this off season uh, to go take the, the head coaching job at Virginia. Like when you have that, that level of coordinator upheaval, it, it does put you behind the eight ball um, just because of when these coaching uh, uh, turnovers happen right around the, that first signing day, like it, it can be tough. So, so like I, I'll give Clemson something of a break there, but at the same time, they are Clemson. They should be able to do a little bit better than, than 11th. They shouldn't be finishing any less than first in the ACC, in my opinion. So so for them to lose out to, to Mac Brown in North Carolina, not the best look. 
again, that this can be kind of rendered meaningless if Clemson bounces back on the recruiting trail next year, or if when it comes to this class, if Kate Klubnik is, is the guy, then it doesn't really matter. Like if you have a transcendent talent at quarterback, which Klubnik seems to be, um, then, you know, it, it really glosses over any, uh, any other uh, weaknesses or shortcomings that, that you might have in a given recruiting hall. And I think also the problem with this Clemson class is the, the lack of depth. And, and Clemson traditionally signs kind of smaller classes and really focuses on uh, just getting like high quality, but, but maybe not signing like 25 guys, maybe signing closer to 20. But they, they at once didn't get the, the same level of blue chip top end talent that they that were used to seeing them get, especially in recent years. And then they also just didn't sign that big of a class overall. So I think overall, when you're, when you're Clemson, this could be a blip on the radar. And, and obviously the, the vibes are a little bit down after, you know, it's still a 10 win season, but an uninspiring 10 win season, of course, uh, th- this past year. So they just need to get back next year. And, and if, you know, then this will just kind of be laughed off as like no big deal. But if this is a sign of things to come and Clemson finishes outside the top 10 again, when you, when you, the bar for uh, making the, the playoff is usually the, these programs that are stacking top five classes back to back to back. You're putting yourself at, at a significant disadvantage, in my opinion. So, so Clemson, at, at least, like they, this class has a chance to be fine. And again, Klubnik is, is going to be the key to it. But they, they need to really bounce back next season. This can't be the start of, of a trend for them. It's crazy that I'm going to ask you this based on you know, where his reputation was this time last year. I, I think we thought this would be a similar situation to Bryce Young, where it's like, you know, no matter who you're bringing in, this guy is the guy until he leaves. But how much of a threat is Club Nick to DJU this this fall? I mean, in terms of winning that starting job at some point. I think he I think he's a very legitimate chance to to um to take that job. I think you could almost draw a parallel to the trip. Not not exactly. I mean, Klubnik is not Trevor Lawrence, but you could almost draw a similar parallel to like Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence, that that 2018 season where like Kelly Bryant was winning them games. But, you know, they bring in Lawrence and he just, you know, absolutely eviscerate whoever uh, was on the other side of the field. And it's like, okay, like this is so obvious. If we want to win a title, um, then we, we need to go to Lawrence. And at least in Bryant's favor, Bryant took them to the playoff the year prior and also gave it like they were the number one seed. People forget that in that 2017 uh, playoff year. Mm. So this could be pretty similar. And I, I also think that the DJU has much shorter of, of a leash because, I mean, I, I was looking I was, again, writing up some futures uh, last week and I had to read back DJU Iungalele's statistics from this year. Six yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, ten interceptions. Like I, I, I literally had to look away from RotoWire, check CFB stats to like make sure that we weren't getting like some sort of stats feed error because I just simply didn't believe that his numbers could have been that bad, but they were. Um, and and the fact that Klubnik is already on campus, I, I mean the the heat's going to be turned up in spring ball. I'll say it now, I won't be shocked if Uyunglele hits the portal before the season even starts. Wow. I mean, it, it was that bad last year, though. I mean, you, I, I really don't think you can overstate the performance versus expectations. I 
I'm sure there are other examples out there, but in terms of like modern college football quarterbacks, guys who, you know, come in almost finished products out of high school now with the way that that works. I, I, is there another comparison that I'm missing like in the last few years for a guy who looked like such a sure thing and even had played well, you know, he, he had played well behind Trevor Lawrence the year before. I, I, I it's really unbelievable the fall off that he's had. I, I think, you know, it's tough to, to come, come up with a comparison that that's as stark as far as the, the drop off to expectations that, that DJ you had. I mean, maybe you could draw a parallel between like how Jake Fromm ended his freshman season versus like, you know, where he was perception wise at the end of his junior year when he ended up uh, leaving Georgia. And he obviously statistically struggled in that 2019 season. So maybe something similar to that, because I, I remember the, the morning after uh, Georgia lost the national championship to, to Alabama, there was, I, I was fine. I'm fiending for like anything relatively positive. And I think like Dan Graziano of ESPN, had an article like projecting the the 2020 draft class and had Fromm as the number one future number one overall pick. It's like, man, like that that's where the expectations were. Like that I'm not like making that up. That that's a real thing. Like that's where people were at with Fromm. They expected such an ascent, you know, after kind of being more of like a caretaker his freshman season. He was good his sophomore year, but then just really just struggled and regressed his junior year. So something is kind of similar there when when it comes to DJU, but I, I think I don't remember from be, having the Heisman odds like DJ Uyunglele did. I mean, it was it was so just hard to watch Clemson last year from an offensive perspective. Defense was still good, but Uyunglele just he showed to be really immobile, which I think a lot of people uh, over overrated his athleticism coming out of high school, and then just like his processing and everything like that that follows in his pocket presence, just really really. Uh, left a lot to be desired. And and so I, I think a guy like Klubnik, who who's uh, just, he has like a track background, I want, I want to say, in addition to, to playing football. Uh, so he's mobile. He's got a strong arm. He totally lit it up at, at the uh, All-America game. That only means so much, but, but I have to think that he, he has a very legitimate cha- uh, chance at uh, taking the job for, from DJU. And I, I think when you're Clemson, you're in a spot where, you can you can survive one bad year, but but two bad years, and you start to to um, identify a pattern, and and things might might slide backwards a little bit for you. So uh, they need to get on the right track. And, and if if Klubnik is the best guy for the job, you can't play the politics game. You have to play the best guy, and and that could be him. So two other teams that you highlighted as potential losers in this class: Baylor and Michigan State. And you kind of have them in there for similar reasons. Two teams that had major successful bounce back seasons in 2020, 21. Um, and then, you know, the, the, I, they didn't see the, the recruiting bump. I think that you would expect uh, that would come with the success that those teams had. Right. And, and so the, that that's exactly right. So the, neither of them had like catastrophic classes, but when both of them are, are playing in New Year's six bowl games and winning them, you would expect a little bit better returns on, on the recruiting trail. Now, in Baylor's case, it's a school that that really is never going to be like a recruiting juggernaut, and it, it's a program that, that prides itself more so on, on the development end of things. So you can understand that, you know, they're, they're not shooting up to, to compete with, with a Texas or an Oklahoma on the trail, but you can still expect 
Dave Aranda and company to bring in a class that's better than Vanderbilt's. And I think that that was just like a visceral reaction of mine. It's like, how does, how's Clark Lee and Barton Simmons like out recruiting you? Barton Simmons, of course, like former 247 uh, legend who works at Vanderbilt now. Um, It's just like, how do you win the sugar bowl? And then like, that's, that's the reward that that you get for it. I I would have expected a little bit more out of Baylor, but I, I still think that they'll be fine overall. And they're, they're again, not a school that that is over reliant on the stars, more more reliant on the development. And I think in Michigan State's case, it's a little bit similar potentially to uh, USC's, where where they're a little bit behind because a lot of their recruiting efforts were, were done uh, via the transfer portal. Obviously, got got former Badger great Jalen Berger and, and a handful of other guys um, in this class for for them. But I still would have expected Michigan State to finish. Um, at least ahead of Indiana, like you mentioned, Indiana, one of the more surprising classes. I didn't write enough uh, on them and the, and uh, and their recruiting efforts this year. But but again, you know, you, you go ahead and you win the Peach Bowl and, you know, you still finish outside the top 20. That was a little bit surprising for me, but I, I wouldn't consider them like huge, huge losers. And, I, you know, the, the losers always comes with a grain of salt and, and you, you don't want to like pile on necessarily, you know, some of the programs that you don't have the high expectations for. But Again, they did fall short of the recruiting expectations that I had relative to their on-field success from this previous year. So, so I had to had to chalk them up with a couple of L's. So this class did get a little bit stronger at the eleventh hour. We had the one of the top three to five players, depending on where you look, in the class of twenty twenty three. I hope I'm saying this right. Lebius Overton uh, reclassifying to twenty twenty two. I know he's a target of the dogs. He's a target of virtually every major program. At this point, so we'll see how that turns out. But uh, adding even more ammunition to to this twenty twenty two class, yeah, that that's unbelievable. And that you know that I believe he, is he another defensive lineman? He's either an offensive or a defensive lineman. Uh, let me let me confirm that. Very good, but but either way, you know, I, I think that A and M once again, like that, they, they might have the inside track. I know, I know that all these other you know top programs. Ha- uh, are making their case for for his services, but man, like it, you know, again, like you said that this is a class that was already rich in in um, trench talent, and it, it gets even better. It adds an even more, um, you know, potential difference maker. It's not it's not quite like Quinn Ewers uh, reclassifying the, this past year, of course, but um, it, it still has a significant impact if he's able to. And he's going to re- reclassify and, and go ahead and, and you know get himself on campus here uh, pretty soon, and you know potentially you know, at least uh, start his clock towards you know getting to the next level, getting to the NFL. Yeah, I was reading. So he is a defensive lineman. You are correct about that. Uh, his dad is the I want to say like the the athletic director or an academic advisor at Kennesaw State. So like academically, this guy is like all world, like four going to be no issues there. Uh, like you said, it's just a matter of, of when he ends up getting on campus at the school he ultimately commits to. Um, anything else you want to hit on from this class? Any any teams that we haven't touched on? Any any exciting players at any position uh, that you want to highlight? So, uh, again, you know, with with the fact that these recruiting rankings are shaped now to, to reflect, you know, what what NFL viability looks like. We don't have quite the, the same obvious uh stars at the skill position uh skill positions and and, you know we'll we'll start to see some of them uh pop over over the next little bit you know the early enrollees once they get to spring we'll be able to read those news clippings and be able to see you know that oh this freshman is starting to make waves but uh luther burden again is a guy that you know i said it in the article he could be the best receiver that missouri's had 
since Jeremy Macklin, and that, that of course, no disrespect to, to our guy, Doriel Green Beckham, but Burden seems like he, he's really just kind of something else. And when you look at, at the receiving production that, that Missouri had a year ago, they obviously had some, some injury issues at quarterback and some inexperience there. Uh, but still, man, like Burden could be, you know, special uh, right from I, you the You mentioned jump. DGB, man. I'm worried this is going to be Green Beckham 2.0. I'm really hoping it's not because because Beckham or Green Beckham had that similar kind of recruiting pedigree where I mean just like leaps and bounds uh, better than you know any other commit that that Missouri had gotten in recent years. Um, but I look to him and I think that you know he really does have a legitimate chance um, of being that impact guy that that really does translate. I'm interested to see how Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall, the two of the uh, big name receivers that that A&M got, A&M needs to start getting a little bit more production from its receivers. And I I think that uh, Stewart, kind of like a smaller guy, uh, but I mean, he's also like the the second rated receiver in this class, number 11 player overall. So even if he's a little bit on the smaller side, you know, we saw Christian Kirk be an immediate difference maker and he's a little bit bigger than Christian Kirk. And then Chris Marshall on the outside, uh, like a six-three, kind of a rangier guy. So AM needs to fix its passing game a little bit. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, obviously off to the NFL, but they can't rely so much on Anaya Smith and these short little uh, passing routes. I think maybe these guys allow AM that that flexibility to, to push the ball down the field a little bit more. And then uh, the number one rated uh, running back, Nicholas Singleton, going to Penn State. Penn State obviously uh, inked a very strong class in their own right. And I drew this parallel a little bit to Saquon Barkley when he came into to Penn State because Penn State, one of those programs that you feel like should always be able to run the ball, and they just simply weren't able to in like 2014, 2015, and they were just getting these like minimal returns from the Bill Beltons of the world. And and uh, we kind of saw that last year with Kayvon Lee and, and Noah Kane, Noah Kane now, now at LSU. Um, you know, the, the departure of Journey Brown or, or Journey Brown having to retire from the game, unfortunately, it just left a hole in the Penn State run game. And I think Singleton can be that guy that just kind of single handedly changes the, the running back position in the, in the shape of this entire Penn State offense. I mean, he's a difference maker. He's the only five star running back in this class. Singleton, you have to imagine, like ha- has sort of, again, not like Saquon Barkley, and I, I don't want to. Uh, levy the the Trevion Henderson expectations necessarily either, but you if there's a running back in this class that that's going to a big program that could step into that starting like workhorse role uh, right away, you got to think it's Singleton. I really really like his game. He just seems to be uh, legit at every facet uh, of the running back position. And again, when when Penn State's ranking 118th. Um, and rushing a season ago, you got to figure that changes just with Singleton and his addition to this offense right, right off the bat. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it was very strange to see the direction uh, that that Penn State offense ended up taking last season, and, and really the way that 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 whole season was was such an up and down roller coaster that kind of ended up feeling like a disappointing 2021 campaign. Uh, any other stories you're tracking at this point in the year? I mean, we're we're kind of about to go into. I would think about the most dormant period of the year for college football. I mean, you look around at, at like sports books and whatnot, you really only have, uh, you know, futures for the national title. Like we don't really have confirmed Heisman odds right now. There's still so many moving pieces. Right. Exactly. So, so spring camp or spring practice is kind of starting to, to crop up at, at certain programs here that this month, and that'll really heat up 
uh, later in February into March. So I'm, we're just kind of like getting ready for that. But, but like you said, that this is now that signing day is in the books officially, um, that this does kind of become that, that time of the year where other than uh, June and May and June, uh, that this is one of the more kind of dormant times. Uh, the transfer portal always keeps things interesting. And I'm sure that spring practice w- will, you know, result in some guys hitting the portal that, that are pretty big names. But other than that, not, uh, yeah, signing day was the big kind of signpost right now for, for this part of the offseason. And now we're, we're looking to head ahead to, uh, to spring practice, getting fired up here. Um, in the next little bit, hopefully, you know, some guys that ended the season injured are going to be able to come back in some capacity, maybe get some work in, uh, start to hear, you know, how some of these in early enrollees that, that you know, put, played such a huge role in, in these recruiting rankings, uh, how they are, are faring at, the, at their respective programs. Obviously, Klubnik is going to be one of the, uh, you know, m- most scrutinized uh, players it, it, for one of the most scrutinized programs. And obviously, we're going to see how A&M is able to handle all of the, the new attention that, that it's getting as well. But um, yeah, basically, uh, we're, we're kind of just hitting hitting like a nice little cruising altitude in the offseason here. I think we're headed toward a really fun 2022 season. I, I felt bad because you and I kept kind of dogging last season for the lack of star power. <laughs> and it just felt it just felt like a down year. And that happens in every sport. Uh, it's, it's cyclical. But you know, we have a ton of star power coming back. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's going to be wide open. I mean, if you look at the odds, it's the familiar four sitting at the top, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Clemson. But like you said, the ascendance of Texas A&M, I mean, USC pretty much instantly going to be back in the mix. Uh, Oregon should be good. I mean, Wisconsin's even 35 to one. I think it's going to be a really, really fun 2022 season. So as we wait for spring practice, you know, as we head into that slower period, make sure you're still checking up on rotowire.com slash C football. Uh, you'll, you'll find John's signing day recap article that we've been referencing. You'll find both parts one and two of John's futures best bets. Uh, those went live on the site a few days ago. Um, and, you know, after signing day, most of that is is fairly evergreen. So make sure you check that out. Yes, please do. I, I poured a lot of blood, sweat and tears in, into those. A lot um, of blood. And, and uh, you know, uh, a little teaser. I think Texas might be back, but I'll leave it at that. I'll leave no. it at that. But but. I'm ready to I'm ready to get hurt again. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.